Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be a great episode with Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls, and this is going to be a four-part series, and we're going to go everything, go over everything from the mechanics of uh, how to make a, a, a sound out of a diaphragm. We're going to go through uh, how to make a sound out of an external reed, a bugle, uh, and then we're going to get even more advanced. We're going to talk about the actual characteristics of each call and how the calls are made and how the calls are stretched. Uh, we're going to talk about the little tricks of the trade of how to make each individual call sound better. Um, and Jason's going to do a lot of demonstrating for us on cow calling, uh, how he likes to bugle, uh, how he likes to chuckle, how he likes to grunt. And so this is going to be a great four-part series. And I know the listeners, are gonna, you guys are going to get a, a great, bill, great bit of uh, uh, value out of it. So I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. Uh, before we get to that, I want to thank my sponsors. Uh, I want to thank uh, GoHunt.com uh, Insider. And I want to announce that there's a real special... Uh, promo that uh, GoHunt.com Insider is doing for the J. Scott Podcast listeners. And that is, it's a 30-day free trial exclusive for the J. Scott uh, Outdoors Podcast listeners. All you have to do is go to GoHunt.com forward slash J. Scott and click on the blue free trial button. And go through the steps. It only takes a couple of minutes. You will be required to provide a credit card, but they will not be charged until after the free 30 days. You can cancel any time within the first 30 days to prevent being charged. If you guys have any questions at all about the free trial at uh, Go Hunt, you can go to free trial at GoHunt.com and someone from the Go Hunt team will promptly respond. So this is your opportunity. If you've been listening over the last uh, year about me talking about uh, GoHunt.com Insider, this is your chance for a 30-day free trial to go on and check out the filtering 2.0 system, check out the draw odds, check out how they do get their harvest statistics, check out the mapping, check out how they can break down each unit, um, it, and uh, check for the local area services. You basically have a free run at uh, checking out uh, the unbelievable resource at Go Hunt Insider. So uh, again, go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott, click on the blue free trial button and go through the steps. And uh, it's a free trial. So go check it out. I want to thank gohunt.com Insider for their sponsorship. Uh, They've been the title sponsor of my podcast since the beginning. I would also like to uh, thank Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines. They also have a promotion going right now. If you go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your, you'll be prompted to go to a page. When you get to that page, it'll say enter an email address. If you enter your email address, uh, you'll be entered into the drawing. They're giving away July 15th, a uh, $1,500 credit towards Swarovski Optics through another sponsor of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, The Outdoorsman's. All you have to do is enter your email address. Again, go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott. Enter your email address once you go to the prompt, 
and uh, one person is going to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. I want to thank Western Hunter and Elk Hunter Magazines for their support. I uh, also want to thank Phonescope.com. If you go to Phonescope.com, uh, you get 10% off if you mention the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Uh, also, if you go to the Outdoorsman's or call the Outdoorsman's at 1-800-291-8065, uh, if you call the Outdoorsman's or you go on uh, their website, use the J. Scott promo code, uh, you're going to get 10% off all products at the Outdoorsman's as well. Uh, also want to thank Utah Hydrographics, and there's a two-tiered system of uh, a discount. Um, you can go to Utah Hydrographics, check it all out. You can get any, they can dip anything in ver Kuyu Verde camo or virtually any camo pattern out there. Um, and uh, there's substantial discounts by using the J. Scott promo code and also Wilderness Athlete. Um, proud to uh, have Wilderness Athlete as a sponsor. And if you use the J. Scott promo code, you get a 10% discount. So, guys, without those sponsors, this podcast wouldn't be possible. I appreciate uh, you guys uh, supporting them. I get feedback from my sponsors every day. Uh, how much support you are giving them and for that I appreciate it uh, also uh, I would love I love getting feedback every day from the listeners you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com uh, I'm going to be uh, launching uh, several episodes where I'm answering uh, the listeners questions I've already done uh, one briefly and uh, I've got great response from that so jscottoutdoors at gmail.com send me any questions or anybody you want to hear on the podcast uh, I get uh, multiple emails Facebook messages Instagram messages text phone calls every day from listeners and uh, that's just awesome I thrive on that uh, I want to make this podcast the most informative and educational uh, experience that I can uh, if I don't know the answer to it, I will find someone that does, and we will get to the bottom of it together. I just want to thank all of you guys for um, just just unbelievable support. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, make sure to go to jscottoutdoors.com. That website is uh, uh, under construction right now, but you can kind of see all the different things that Craig Steele at CS Creativity is doing. Uh, he's uh, revamping and centralizing everything. So it's basically you can go to jscottoutdoors.com. You'll be able to click on Instagram, my YouTube channel, my Facebook page, uh, all my different blogs, uh, right? And, and of course, uh, this podcast. Um, you can listen to the podcast right on the website. You can link out to iTunes. You can link out to Podbean. Um, so it's, uh, he's doing a great job and, uh, there'll be more and more content put on there as the days go by. So make sure to check out jscottoutdoors.com. Also, um, I'm, I'm making a transition in Facebook, um, to posting content on the J Scott Outdoors business page. So just go to J Scott, type in J Scott Outdoors, come like my Facebook page. Uh, I'm maxed out on my personal page and um, we're moving all, uh, pretty much all the content uh, over to J. Scott Outdoors business page. Guys, again, thanks for your support. Uh, I, I hope you really enjoy this four-part series with Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Jack, what time is it? Bull killing time! What time is it? Bull killing time!
I didn't hear you the first two times. What time it's is it? It's full killing time till the sun goes down! Awesome. All right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> the, that 5H was set up for... Uh, for... Uh, is that... Um, so we... We ended up sticking with just a single read, and now I do a lot of custom cutting. You know, we have our our die stamps for for the the reads we sell most. We've got a wide and what I call a narrow, but I've did I've cut custom cut probably over two hundred guys wanting specific sounds or trying to. Well, I want one in between, you know. So then I'll just get the scissors out and basically um, follow a template that I I have here on a piece of steel, and and cut that out for them. What have you found with your external calls as far as, um, you know, being in a truck, sitting in the sun, you know, being cold? I mean, you know, diaphragms, mouth calls, reeds, they're very, very finicky. What have you found with external reeds? Are they way less finicky as far as, you know, getting damaged or what have you? Yeah, yeah the, I mean, the Mylar is still not completely UV resistance, but it's it's way better than, than actual latex. Um, you know, I wouldn't recommend keeping this thing on your dashboard for years at a time, but during a hunt season or, you know, for, for times throughout the fall, there's, there's not a lot of uh, issues with it. And the heat, <clears throat> um, once you get above, one of the ways we fix these calls is with a, a normal um, iron, you know, for ironing clothes a clothes iron will just guys will send me a call that they, you know, they bent the reed and put a permanent crease in it. One of the ways guys can fix it or I can fix it for them is basically take the green uh, latex band and iron it. Well, just through testing, once that call gets above about 130 degrees, um, it will start to reshape that mylar uh, permanently. So I imagine, you know, a lot of these cars parked out in the sun on a hundred degree day, you're, you're probably approaching that 130 degrees somewhere in there and you may start to see, you know, especially with that green band that pinches a lot of these reeds, you know, a couple, you know, half inch out from, you may actually see, you know, some permanent um, deformation of that mylar towards the tip, kind of almost like a, for lack of a better word, the reed will start to droop a little bit. Uh, gotcha. So that, I mean, I, they're pretty, they're pretty um, fail proof, even in a truck on a hot day, but that's probably the one thing is that I know we can start to reshape the mylar. Uh, on a 10,000th piece at about 130 degrees. What about moisture? Um, seems like on external read calls, if you get a lot of moisture, you can get that read to stick. My question would be, why does it stick? And have you found anything to, without giving any secrets away, have you found that your calls hold up better in the moisture? Yeah, I think... I run a really, really skinny read on 95%. And my, my thinking is it's easy to activate. It's easier for people to use. But to prevent that big con of external sticking is there's so little surface area, which it is a pain in the butt for me to build these because I've got to have the read you know, perfectly centered. I, I don't have the leniency of a wide read that you know, doesn't have to be perfectly centered and you'll still cover the tone channel or the air channel. So I do have to get these things lined up, but my my uh, my plus to that is, and my thinking is, and I'll, I'm not gonna lie, my calls will still lock up, um, you know, but but to help them, we've got that skinny reed. There's such little surface area for that, you know, saliva spits, you know, sugary drinks or whatever to lock up in that it seems to help release that reed and not let it stick as easy. Um, what do you do if it does stick up? Because I'm going to come to your defense a little bit and tell you that 
I don't care what external read you, you use, it is eventually going to stick yep. and you have to kind of know what to do um, to, to keep it from sticking. Yeah. So the first thing's kind of prevention. You know, if, if you eat, uh, we all love to eat snacks when we're out hunting, you know, sitting on a hillside, there's, I'd love nothing more than, you know, peanut M&Ms or uh, a package of Sour Patch Kids, you know, and yeah, that's great and they taste good, but we don't think about blowing on our call 20 minutes later and you've got all that sugar in your mouth. You basically, you know, or you drink a Gatorade or some sort of a drink mix and then you go right to using your call. You've just created a, you know, you've set yourself up for that thing to lock up. So drying it as much as possible, um, you know, when you have time throughout the hunt, keeping it dry. And if I know that I, have uh, you know, ate something like that, I try to, you know, have a drink of clean water before I go to calling. And if I know that I've, uh, you know, use that call uh, after I've ate something and I've got some bottle of water, I may try to just like clean underneath and the tone board and the mylar reed and then just try to maybe slide like a, a t-shirt or a thin piece of you know wearing a wool t-shirt or something under there and get it really clean and dry it is the best you can do um and then you know like i said just hopefully it's clean enough for when you are calling them in that it doesn't stick up or lock up i've i found too if you just actually clean the call you know like with water and like really rinse it off and let it totally dry um, yeah, a cleaner call, uh, Chris Rowe last year, I was complaining that my, uh, call was sticking a little bit and he's like, give me that. And he looked at, it, he's like, you know, it's like when my wife cleans my sunglasses, you know, she looks at it and just goes, Oh my gosh, what is in here? Yep. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've had him around my neck for, you know, three weeks and, um, he cleaned it, you know, basically just torched it with water and flushed it out under the, you know, under the sink, flushed yep. it all out and then just let it air dry. And it just, you know, yeah. blew, it blew great after that. Yep. Yep. That's, you know, same. We do that a lot out in the field, just with, you know, water out of fresh water out of your water bottle or bladder or whatever. And then just you know, try to use a, a t-shirt to get the majority of it and then hopefully let it air dry before you need to use it. And yeah, just try to keep that thing as clean. And then, you know, prevent any sugary drinks or foods getting on it is, is the best advice I have. Yeah. And then, you know, keep in mind though, that your call and, and good external calls out there, you know, it's good external calls are not going to stick very often, but they will, they'll all stick at some point. Yep. Um, but the better made calls like your call, does not stick near as much as some of the calls that aren't made as well. Yeah. And I mean, one of the, it's not really a, a secret, I guess, but you know, I, I hit everyone with steel wool in the direction of the call. Now I don't, you know, on a, I haven't even looked, I don't know if it's true. It just, it makes sense to me is that you're making little teeny micro scratches in that. And, you know, and like I said, I, I've got, I'm of the opinion that the less surface area I can get that mylar and plastic to touch, the less that it has to stick or hold up on. You know, so that's one thing we treat every tone board after it's casted. Uh, we basically hit it with some steel wool just to slightly roughen it up in the direction of the reed. That's good stuff. Um, and while we're talking about that kind of thing, what are downfalls for latex? Or we're back to talking about the mouth reeds. A um, couple things I found are if you, I wear chapstick yep. all the time. Yep. If you put chapstick on latex, it is going to change the 
I don't know, characteristics, so to speak, of that latex. Yep. Um, I've had calls. <laughs> I had a call. I uh, was uh, calling for a friend of mine, Steve Winery, in Arizona. Uh, it was back in 2009, and um, my client had killed a really nice bull and finished finished his season, and I ran over to another unit with Steve Winery, and um, we went out and just calling along, having fun, calling elk, and we're kind of hiking after these bulls, and um, I'm constantly putting chapstick in, and we get in there tight, and I go to blow my call, and it does, it, 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 it it's like it, it's not even an elk call. <laughs> and he looks over at me, and I look like I don't know, and I pull the call out, and literally the latex looked like it had melted. Yep. And what I realized, and I I really had had to kind of start watching it was that new chapstick that I was using. When when a lot of t- times we all walk with those mouth calls on our lips, if it gets on the latex, it can change uh, the latex. Now sometimes if you're if you want to change the latex, I'll actually mess with it and put a little bit on there to. Give, <laughs> you know how yeah. you get calls and and you know it seems like call companies are getting more consistent these days than they used to be. But I used to have calls that just sounded horrible out of the package. I would do two things. I would either put a little bit of, you know, rub a little bit of chapstick to try and break the latex down, or I found that if I took Sprite or Coke in a cup and would soak my reeds, for whatever reason, I think the acid in the carbonated beverage would actually work on that latex. And I'd take a call that, you know, had never blown good at all and couldn't get it to blow for a week soak it a little bit, you know, maybe for 15, 20 minutes in some sugar water, you know, Coke or Sprite. Yep. And I don't know if it was the latex breaking down or if what it was, but then all of a sudden I've had calls blow good after putting it in. There. Oh, that's, I'm curious your your thoughts on that. That's the first time I've ever heard of, of uh, a pop, but yeah, I might have to, now you're going to have a science experiment in my kitchen here once we're done with this. Just <laughs> Well, and, and to add to that, um, one of my favorite mouth calls that I that I absolutely loved was probably 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, maybe even longer now. Um, seems like time's flying by. But when Primos originally came out with their, uh, it, it was first their, their white, which I believe was the ivory palette plate, um, which was a flat plate on top. It was before they made it curved. Um, and then there was a red, which was the Imperial. And then the blue one was actually a call that was double latex. Yep. Um, the, the ivory was a single, um, the, the Imperial was red and it was double. And the, the blue one was actually a call that, that Will Primos had sent, uh, Steve Chapel uh, and I, a bunch of calls and Steve came up with cutting it in that Y formation. Yep. Well, I wanted to make those reeds stick together because I found that it, you know, you don't want it like a turkey call where you want each individual latex to have its own sound characteristic yep. and you want them to, to remain separate. If you, if you see good turkey callers, they're constantly breaking their reeds apart. Well, elk call is exact opposite. I want those elk, if it's a double reed talking about a, a mouth diaphragm, I want that latex to act as one. Yep. And one of the quickest ways that I would get those to work and and glue together was I would soak them in Coke or Sprite. And I believe it was the sugar 
or the sticky, you know, whatever it is, the syrup would stick those latexes together. And one of the very first things I would do is I would pull it out of the package and I'd blow it. And if it sounded good, I usually wouldn't mess with it. If it sounded bad, I'd throw it in the Coke and soak it in the Coke, let it dry before I put it in my mouth. And then I'd call. And some of my best calls that I ever had were actually latex that I stuck together with Coke. Yeah. Now, I, a lot of my, my uh, reads are doubles with B cuts in them too. And yeah, I caution people all the time that, you know, until those reads stick together, you're going to get weird pitch breaks because those latexes are acting separate. But it's, trust me, as soon as those things glue together, that should all tie back in, you know. And so I tell a lot of guys, you know, blow it for 20 minutes. I turn the call around and basically force, force, you know, saliva back in between the reads, however many there are, and then let that call sit for an hour and then go back to it. And it should be good. Yeah. So, you know, trying to get those reads to stick together, especially on calls like my dragon slayer, where we've got basically a turkey ghost cut into the top, that thing wants to stay raspy until all three of those latex, you know, pieces of latex glue together. Um, so yeah, your Coke thing, I think that's true. It may be gluing together, breaking reads down and kind of adding into the, to why, uh, to get back to that original question you asked, one of the things that I noticed and in, and I'm using, in my opinion, some of the best latex I've ever found or ever been able to get my hands on. Latex, after a long call-in or a long time, you know, you get two or three hours into a call-in, you can almost watch like a piece of natural latex start to turn white and almost gets itself waterlogged. That's something that I would say a lot of guys, you know, you walk around with that thing in your mouth all the time you change the tone after about an hour or two. So as much as possible, I like to get that thing out of my mouth. Um, I, I personally have my own little squeeze purse I made with mesh on both sides. So it does truly dry the calls out really quick. Uh, last year I used uh, a local guy here, uh, making them out of his uh, shop. Uh, Lewis Shetler, he, he called it the reed vice. It hooks onto your hat. And then I would just basically like a bread clip onto the edge of the tape. That, that was great because it dried my calls out really quick in the sun. The downfall was I noticed after two or three days on like my favorite call, I would start to get sun cracks, you know, cause that call basically was sitting out in the sun for three days at a time. So that created, I flipped it over and started keeping the calls on the underneath side of my bill. Um, so, you know, sun, uh, the read vice kind of leads into sun. If you keep a, uh, I don't care how good a latex you have. If you keep a call on your dash, you know, being magnified, uh, by the sun, it's going to fall apart. Typically what happens is the calls actually get tighter, tighter and tighter. And then you'll start to see like sun cracks, um, radially back into the, the latex. So sun's bad. Um, during the call in, it's not the, the, the latex will dry out, but I would say, try to keep those things as dry as possible when you're not using them. And the other thing is, you know, the, the tape letting go, I've got some very, very good tape now, but you know, just as recently as six months ago, I was having some some issues with tape that wouldn't necessarily stick very good. Uh, I'm fortunate now this new stuff, I'll, I'll destroy a frame trying to get it off. You know, so letting your calls dry out also ensures, you know, cause this tape on them aren't waterproof. It's just water resistant. And so we're, we're hoping that that stuff doesn't ever let go. Yeah. And I would strongly encourage people to have, you know, at least five go-to diaphragms and, be changing them out at all times because I'm totally with you. If those reeds get too wet, if that tape gets too wet, it changes your call. Sometimes you can take a call that doesn't sound good 
it gets a little wetter, it, it changes and it changes for the better. But most calls I've found, the wetter that they get, the longer that you keep them in your mouth, the worse they sound. Um, it, it's very common for me to have a diaphragm calling an elk in and mid-series, you know, not mid-blowing, mid but, you know, called the elk's bugling, I flip one out, put another one in, so I've got a fresh, crisp-sounding call. I think that makes all the difference in the world. Yep. Um, another thing about sun cracks, what's, what's, and Jason, you know what I'm talking about, and probably some of the listeners do too. Latex is a funny thing, and I would encourage people never throw away any calls because you may have a call that you pull out of the package and for whatever reason it just doesn't sound right. Put it in a bag and put, you know, label it number twos or label it rejects or label it whatever, but don't throw it away. I can't tell you how many calls a year later I pull out of my little plastic baggie and I run through, you know, 30 or 40 of them. And I find five or six calls that I mean are as good as any call I've ever blown. Yep. Uh, and sometimes I'm looking at a couple of them right here on my on my um, table. Some of them actually have a few little crackles and a few little you know discolorations. And for whatever reason, I pop them in my mouth and they're just spot on cow calling. I'm talking more cow calling because bugling you need yep. real consistent read, but. You can get some pretty nasally and some buzzes and, you know, get some, uh, you know, don't throw your mouth calls away. Yeah. Save them, put them in a bag, give them another chance a year. And I've even given calls a chance, you know, two, three years later. I have bags that, you know, I know I opened three years ago and all of a sudden I'll pull out a 20 calls. There'll be one that sounds, I mean, perfect. That goes right into the starting lineup. Yeah, I mean me, – my good buddy Chris Parrish, who's a great turkey caller, we've talked about you know the best. We, He's not good. He's the best. <laughs> yeah. That guy is unbelievable. Yeah, we're we're really good buddies, and we talk about you know the 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 call making nerds. You know, we talk about you know the properties of latex. Whoops, dropped my bugle too. We talk about the properties of latex as you know a year or two years later or three years later, and whether we keep them in the refrigerator or whether we keep you know latex in in just a dry dry uh, dark spot and. You know, it's funny, you, you try to, but we're trying to keep these things so consistent. So it matters to us. Um, I was like, I got a designated uh, fridge out in the in the garage. I don't keep it too cold, but I've got, you know, 50,000 pieces of latex out there just because, um, you know, trying to maintain, I think it's better to be out there than, you know, in here where uh, window lights got access to it, you know, and, and we, we just always kind of had that idea or we've talked about, ah, if a call if it's if it's not quite high enough pitched on an elk call, how about we go you know set it out in the sun for six hours and try it again and you know th just like you said, rather than a year or two within six hours and the sun beating on it, it may change that call and and it it might not hurt the life of it at all. It may just change the tone enough and then that call's great for the next you know six or seven days you're hunting with it. It's just, it's yeah, weird I, stuff. It is weird stuff and it's finicky stuff and and maybe you could speak to. Um, you know, you call manufacturers, you live and die by your latex and, uh, tell me about some of the challenges of finding latex that's consistent. Cause from what I understand, if, if you were to roll latex out, uh, you know, from one spot to another spot that, that it is very hard to get latex in the exact same, uh, density 
an exact same width um, and, and maybe you could speak to that on the challenges that it causes a guy like you that's trying to make every certain call like your Dragon Slayer or your signature cow exactly the same so that when one guy blows a signature cow and he tells his buddy, hey, get the signature cow, and his buddy gets in and goes, hey, this thing sucks. It's no good. And then he well, give me that. And he blows it. And he's like, you're right. That one's different. So tell me about the, the problems with trying to find consistent latex. Yeah, it's, you know, we there's one supplier that I think the majority of us use. I think some of the bigger companies probably, you know, outsource to different companies. Um, the one problem I had with the supplier I was using originally is you would order a batch of 004. And like, for instance, the call that you reviewed um, for Western Hunter back that you really liked was my Elk Commander. I had always used .003 natural on that call. Uh, and about two years into making it, I could no longer, I would still order the 003, but he had sw the, the supplier had switched where he was getting it from. And it had absolutely no characteristic that was the same, you know, as far as what an Elk call should sound like. And I would mic it and it would mic, you know, five or you know, five ten thousandths out, which it shouldn't be a big deal. I should still be close enough, but there's something within the properties. And so then, you know, my best selling call, I would have to go and either try to find a new supplier or try to order the four thousandths and then change the specs of that call to get it to sound and act the same. And it's that's been the struggle. Um, you know, my original signature bull was on a on a 004 gray piece of latex. Um, within three years of me using that call and, you know, selling a bunch, all of a sudden they couldn't make the gray and anything uh, thinner than a, a five, five. And so I just, I kind of abandoned that call until just recently I found a new manufacturer that's making um, better latex, but that's, a, it's a huge struggle and it, it's extremely frustrating. Um, you know, still being a small call maker, it was bad enough, but I can't imagine a big call company getting their latex from the same company and uh, watching, you know, them try to spit out, huge amounts on the, you know, substandard stuff. And I, it's, it's happening all over, you know, just, I actually sell bugling bull stuff a little bit. And uh, I noticed just recently they switched uh, their um, raging bull. It went from a natural to a red latex, you know, so we're all struggling to try to get the same exact sounds out of the call, but use the materials that we have available, um, you know, to get that call that everybody has grown to like or want. Yeah. And I think that, uh, lends itself to another point of don't be afraid to try a bunch of calls because what you think is your go-to call one year could very possibly be um, another one the next year, meaning you know one of Jason's series uh, could sound maybe – I know obviously – you don't want to hear this, but the reality is you strive to be consistent. But the reality, it's also the reality that sometimes you need to try five or six of your calls to say, you know, is this still the best call? Or, oh, maybe I like this, this sound of Jason's new call or this call or the old call even better because, you know, for whatever reason, that latex or, you know, it, it everything changes. Yep. Um, I very rarely buy, you know, uh, it seems like elk calls are, you know, I buy them 10 at a time. I, I want to, you know, it's twofold because I want to try them all out and I want to see from call to call to call of the same, say, signet, Jason Phelps signature cow 
that they're all consistently the same. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those things. And then if I find a sound that I really like, I dang sure want to have, you know, eight or 10 or 12 or 20 of them. Yeah. And that's that's one thing I try to do is I've made it just my own policy is I'll get a batch of a thousand pieces of latex and I, I check 20 of them. And all 20 of them better be within plus or minus five ten thousandths or you know, then I've got to go through the whole batch with a fine tooth comb and, you know, maybe just have my mic sitting there all the time and throwing ones out that are, you know, not within that, that range. But it's, it's the supplier I'm using now is extremely consistent. I'm usually within one ten thousandth on every single piece. So I, I'm really happy. The one downside is some of the qualities are different. So I can't use some of the old singles that I used to use because I can't get some high notes out of it, you know? So that's, all these things that are kind of going on in the background. It's like, well, why don't you have, why did your signature bowl go to a one and a half read now and not two? And, and there's some reasons behind it. I can't get this old single I used, but with this new, more consistent latex, I can use two reads, get a real similar call out of it and, and be more consistent. And, you know, so, you know, a lot of people ask, well, why are you changing or why did you do this? Or why is it not a single anymore? And that's kind of the reasoning that, you know, they don't really get to see or hear about. All right, Jason, we've talked a lot about the mechanics of a call and the different sounds and, and uh, some of the different tricks of, of the trade, so to speak. I want to transition a little bit into um, actually your strategy of calling a bull into bow range. And, um, you know, I think it's important to note that everybody's strategy uh, is learned from having success doing things. So what might work for you might not work for me. But one thing I've done in trying to learn and be a student of the game is trying to understand uh, different guys like yourselves, what you're thinking, why you're thinking it, and why you're making the sounds you are. And it's made me better. Uh, I'm curious if you had to categorize your um style would you consider yourself more of a bugler or more of a cow caller in general uh, yeah by far bugler okay yep and 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 being a bugler um in your hunts that you go on when you say you're more of a bugler do you specifically mean that you actually have elk come from where they're at to you more bugling than if you were cow calling. No, the, it, the the bugling comes along with what I would also probably consider like an over aggressive hunting style um, that we we use when we bugle. Now there are times when if, if you know if if there's a a big enough satellite bull or one that we want to actually invest time in, we know he doesn't have a herd, then we may go in with cow calls. You know, but that's that was more situational. But as far as the majority of the hunting I would say we do is is locating herd bulls, you know, bulls with cows and going after them. We we usually bugle and locate, and then we definitely get closer. We you know we we have called bulls in from a long ways just bugling, but it's not the norm. Okay, so from what I hear you saying is, 
you bugle to locate and you're trying to determine if the bull has cows or not, if it's a herd bull or not, by listening to, I, I believe what you're saying is his response and trying to, you know, in essence say, oh yeah, that's a bull I want to go after. That's a bull I want to see. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, we'll, we chase most all beagles, whether, you know, and it, and the other thing we always kind of tell each other is if, if there's elk there, if there's a bull responding, even if it is a satellite, there should be a bigger one around, you know, if we do want to go after the herd bull. So usually when we hear a bull respond to our bugle, it's we're usually, you know, taken off in his direction. And to put that in perspective, too, um, you know, you live and hunt in a state where trophy quality is not sometimes the greatest correct i mean yeah. you know getting a bull consistently year after year maybe a four point it may be a six point or it may be you know uh you know a, a spike right i mean it's 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 you know Ari coming from arizona where it's a real target rich environment uh, we have a lot of elk we have a lot of interaction with elk every day it's a little hard to understand some of the other states until you go hunt them but Correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of the states uh, in the Northwest, there's more hunting pressure, there's maybe less elk, um, and, you know, sometimes just getting a bull every single year is is a huge feat. Yeah, yeah, and I actually don't even hunt Washington anymore. I put in for east side tags, and if I don't draw, I typically go to Montana or Idaho for my over-the-counter type hunts. Um, okay. you know, so I actually, I haven't hunted Washington since 2012. Um, okay. But yeah, back so, back when I did, it was any legal bull was a uh, you know was good enough just because you know you're just the low numbers you know sh super short seasons when we you know our general season over the counter no restrictions on people we only had 12 days um, you know so you, there wasn't a whole lot of time to pass bulls up um, you know on a general season hunt where you know Arizona in 12 days you'll probably have multiple opportunities but yeah so. I, I guess what I'm saying is I have a lot of listeners that hunt a lot of over-the-counter, you know, you know, Colorado, uh, you know, some of the states that, you know, Montana, Idaho, and, you, you know, we get into some of this advanced calling and some of this stuff, and they're like, Jay, I just want to get a bull. Yep. So, so my question for you is, you know, I'm coming at this from the listener that's saying, I want to get an elk in front of me and be able to shoot it. I don't care whether it's a four point or a six point or what it's got on its head. If it's got antlers, I'm going to kill it. Yep. In your opinion, what is the best strategy that you can use to kill Abel? Uh, calling, calling. Okay, absolute best. Even though you said calling, I'm going to the best scenario I can paint is you've spotted this bull, you know, whether it's a satellite or a group of satellites with your binoculars, um, you know, and they don't know you're there. So basically it gives you the ability to watch them, figure out what their plan is, what they're doing. Um, you know, if there's a herd bull around bugling, figure out what they're doing. That gives you the chance to figure out the wind, uh, you know, decide on the wind, get in tight to those bulls and, and lay on heavy cow calling. It would be the ideal. If that's all you want to do is just kill any bull, um, I, I think a satellite bull with straight cow calls is, is probably the easiest and, and the most effective and still pretty action-packed. Um, you know, so it starts with locating them, being able to make the right decisions, make the right play, read the wind, and then getting in tight and just cow calling them into you. Um, a lot of those raghorns or you know, immature satellite bulls um, have no problem coming right in. 
Okay, and my question would be, why are they eager to come in? You know, they're basically either getting their butt kicked or not allowed to get close or kicked away. If there's, you know, if you imagine, I imagine, all right, some, you know, lone cow or some cow that, you know, and you, we haven't made a bull sound. So as far as he knows, there's this new cow there that may give him that opportunity. And we've noticed that multiple times if they're like bachelor groups, it's typically the most mature bull out of that group that will turn. You know, it's almost like, well, if anybody's going to get the, the new cow that showed up or this, this lost cow or whatever it may be, it's usually that more mature satellite bull in that group. Or a lot of times we'll drag all two or three or four of them um, as we're calling them in. Okay, so ch the chips are down and you got to put meat in the freezer. You want to kill a bull. You're saying locate them with your binoculars as best case scenario. Figure out what they're doing. Be able to get in there tight to them and do heavy cow calling and, and get them to come because they want to, you know, they, they, they want to come to that cow. Yep. What, what is your next? You say you're a bugler and you love bugling. Tell me the bugling scenario and why. Um, if you were to say, argue with me and say, Jay, bugling is my favorite way. I love bugling bulls. Tell me about that. So, you know, of course, everybody's goal. And well, I let me rephrase that. Not everybody's goal. My personal goal when I go out there is to try to kill a herd bull if I can. Um, that's I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say that if, you know, on a day one, I'm going to shoot a small bull, even though I may. You know, I go into this whole thing thinking I want to kill a herd bull. I want to interact with a herd bull. Uh, I want to I want to be challenged. Um, you know, and so when I go out there, either we locate him with bugling. Or, you know, I let a locator bugle. Um, he answers. We get in tight. Or if I locate him with optics, we figure out wind and everything. We get in tight and set up. Now my typical strategy is I I will cow call. I will use that estrus wine we talked about earlier in the podcast. And this is what's going on in my head. I'm trying to take his temperature, but also paint a picture at the same time. I'm trying to paint that picture that he has, you know, if we've got close enough and tight enough that one of his cows on the edge of his herd has come into estrus or is needing attention. And then as soon as I give that estrus wine, I turn around and rip off a challenge bugle, one of those big, loud, nasty challenge bugles um, with some grunts at the end and basically painted that picture that, yeah, you have a, one of your cows has come into estrus, but now... There's this bull here, you know, that's that's basically tending her or um, gonna take her away from your herd. And you know, I've, in my opinion, I've either said I'm too close to you now to round up your cows and leave, or you risk leaving this cow that's now come into heat. And so that's that's my thinking behind that. And then typically from there, once he answers me, if he, you know, a lot of the times in that scenario, if I can get in tight enough, I will get a response back within five seconds. You know, it's not one of those delayed response. It's not a lackadaisical response. It's usually typically directed at my bugle and then I'll just walk on him and I'll try to turn that temperature up. He bugles, I'll bugle halfway through and make sure I end after him. And then we just continue that game trying to crank that temperature up on him. Okay. And one key question you talked about when you get in tight, what is get in tight in your country that you hunt? As close as possible. A lot of times we're putting, you know, we're, we're a lot of times we're in the timber. Um, we're putting eyes on cows. We're putting eyes on the bull. Um, you know, I would say in order for, for the style of hunting I like to do to be effective, you probably need to be in a hundred yards. And if the terrain and the landscape allow it, I would like to be 60 to 70 yards if possible. Before you, before you even let them know you're there. Yep. 
I mean, they may hear some sound and stuff that I kind of assume is natural. They may have looked that way. But before I actually make um, an elk sound, I want to be as tight as I can absolutely get. Okay, so question for you. You get in tight, and you're saying you're going to hit uh, an estrus cow-sounding call. If the bull bugles right away to your cow call, do you hit them right away with a bugle or do you continue to coax him with the cow call? Boy, that's, that's, that's <laughs> one of those questions that I hate answering from my seat. Cause to be honest, that would be probably one of those gut feelings that, you know, I, I can't write to paper, but most of the time I'd say I would probably bugle just because I want to paint that picture that there's a bull there. Um, and would it be your big nasty bull or i mean are you always leading with the big nasty Mo probably i you know it's it's hard to say i may i may just grunt to 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 show a presence of a bull but there's other factors you know that if i could hear him approaching the cow after the cow call i may not do anything you know he may bugle but i can hear you know brush snapping like he's coming this way or you know sometimes you can hear cows going the opposite way all that kind of you know, comes into play and, and would affect that decision. But, you know, sitting here at my computer, um, I would say I would probably still bugle. Okay. I love it. I love this stuff. Um, paint in your mind, give me the perfect exchange between you and a bull and, and, and what you're thinking and what he's thinking, just the perfect scenario and what you just live for. Perfect scenario, my and I actually got to live this last year on my buddy's uh, muzzleloader hunt. If we get in, we start that, and he bugles, and I bugle on top of him, and we were able to continue to exchange that. He bugles, I bugle, and you can, I mean, it's it's something you feel, you can kind of sense it. It's turning that temperature up, so when that bull does get into you know bow range you can see the fire in his eyes and, uh, you know, you can smell his breath and he is ripping bugles the whole way in, you know, he's standing there at 30 yards, you know, pointed directly at you. He may not see us yet, but he's still bugling right through us. And I just love that instant interaction. It's one of those things where like, you know, calling deer, you know, some of these other types of hunting I love to do. I, you just don't get that instant reaction like you do with elk. And then ultimately another thing is turkeys, you know, with, with elk, that incident, you know, you bugle, he bugles, every move he makes from there on is in direct reaction to what you're doing. And so you, you kind of have that control and, and that's what I love about an, an elk call. But my, my ideal situation is, you know, controlling that bull all the way into range and uh, interacting with him from wherever it is, a hundred to 30 or whatever it, it may be. Okay. So back to the scenario where you cow call and he rips a bugle. And let's say he grunts and then, you know, finishes, you know, chuckles or grunts just to chuck, chuck, you know, like ape. Yep. And then he goes into his high pitch. Are you going to blow? Are you going to mimic that? So are you trying to mimic at all times or are you still going to blow your big bad call and then start mimicking? I'm, I'm curious if you mimic right off the bat. And, and answer with the same intensity of, uh, you know, he chuckles first, you chuckle first, or do you have a set bugle that you're always going to blow in that scenario? No, my, my first one will typically be the big challenge bugle. And then once I get an idea what he sounds like, um, I'll typically mimic him. And now he may have bugled before I ever got in that close. And I kind of throw all that information away. I want to hear 
what he sounds like when we're interacting versus when I was, you know, 500 yards up on the ridge top or uh, moving in. So I kind of don't, I won't mimic him, but I'll start with that big challenge bugle. And then typically as soon as he bugles, we'll mimic him and uh, the rest of the way out. And you try to take what he does and just add a little bit of spice to everything from there on out. You know, if, if uh, he's, if he's chuckling, I try to chuckle a little bit louder and maybe a little bit longer. And if, you know, if, if he's getting really raspy in the middle, I try to overemphasize that rasp and, and just slowly kind of turn it up. And then I always, my other goal is to always be the last one to talk, um, you know, never let him get the last word in, so to speak, and, and turn that temperature up. And that's why I really love that, that call in last year, um, that we got on video from my buddy during muzzleloader because he did my exact my favorite bugle that that voice inflected grunt at the end we just exchanged those the whole way in and, and I didn't have to change so I was you know that that was right up my wheelhouse but uh, you know typically we just mimic from there on out once he makes his first bugle in response to me I'm I'm gonna copy him the rest of the way through. Okay, first question and you we've both been talking so much I don't know you might have to take a swig of water but <laughs> let me hear your challenge bugle. Okay. Uh-huh. 